last week, we, we kind of intro the series by saying that in 2 Peter 1.3, God's word tells us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the, through the knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. So everybody say everything one more time. And so the, the very premise, the foundation of this breakthrough series is that we already have everything that we need. Sometimes when we think about breakthrough, it's like, man, I'm, I'm chasing that spiritual carrot that I never quite catch and I never feel like I arrive. But that's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is that he sent his Holy Spirit so that we could have everything that we need. Isn't that a great promise? And so when we feel like, man, I need a breakthrough, the first thing to remember is, okay, God, you've given me everything that I need. Everything. And I need to figure out how do I dwell in that? How do I abide in that? How do I just rest in the fact that God has already given me everything that I need? And so now I need to figure out how am I going to apply that everything to my life? And so last week we talked about prayer and this week we're diving in to our habits. And here's what we know. Successful people in any area of life do consistently what other people do occasionally, right? Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And this has to be the foundation of our, of our thoughts when we talk about habits. Because habits are all about routine. Habits are all about something that comes naturally, something that happens repeatedly. And so we remember that, man, if I want to be successful in any area, then I have to do it consistently, right? The problem is that when we see successful people that have really good habits, you know, we think to ourselves, man, I just can't do that. But the problem is we only see the highlights of their life. We only see the breakthrough moments. We only see the, the, the times when they're doing really great because all of the grinding and all of the hard stuff usually happens in obscurity. It happens in obscurity. It happens when no one is watching. And what a great question for your life. Who am I and what does my look, life look like when no one is watching? That's a really good kind of revealing question about your habits, right? And whether they're the kind of habits you need or the kind of habits you need to break. And so a lot of times we long for the breakthrough that we see other people have experienced, but we don't count the cost. We don't count what has to happen in obscurity for us to have the same kind of success that maybe somebody in the Bible we see or maybe somebody in our life that we look up to. We don't count the cost. John Maxwell is famous for saying, show me your habits and I'll show you your future, right? The greatest predictor of what your life is gonna look like 10 years from now is your habits, who you surround yourself with and what you're reading. I love what Covey said when he, when he talked about you know, habits of highly effective people. He said, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And I love that because that, that gives us a, a, an idea of where do we start? Because in the new year, man, everybody's posting their habits. Everybody's, uh, right now, people are doing the 10-year challenge, which uh, I'm like, nope. You know, 10 years ago, um, I looked like I was 14. And so, um, you know, I don't need to show everybody that. And so, but where do we start when we talk about our habits? And we're seeing everybody's new resolutions online. But, you know, no, where do we start? Because you're not going to find it on Facebook most of the time. And you're not going to find it uh, through just some, some hack or just, you know, a trendy New Year's resolution. We have to start with the end. Where do we wanna be in the end when we stand before God 
And hopefully our goal is to hear well done, right? And so where do I want to be successful? And so we start with the end in mind. We're not going to start with what we do. We're going to start with who we want to be. And we need to ask ourselves, what will be my identity? Another way to think of it, what do I want written on my tombstone, right? If you if only had one sentence to say about your life, what would you want it to say? My youth pastor in, in, in college, he took us all out to a graveyard one day. You know, and it was kind of creepy, and it was like, oh, this is kind of weird. We're all standing around the graveyard. But he pointed on the graveyard to that dash in between the years that people lived. And he's like, man, that dash, it's your life. What do you want it to represent? And so as you think about your habits, you got to start with that. What do I want my life to be? Identity is tricky, though, because the world will tell you to create your own. The world will say, hey, just whatever feels right, whoever you think you are, whatever you think, you know, hey, you can be whoever you want to be. Have you ever heard of that? You can be whatever you choose to be. But we as a church, and when we want to follow Jesus, we don't go to our feelings. We don't always go to what we want or what feels right. We go to God's word. And we ask ourselves, what does God's word say about our identity? Paul said it like this. He said, to live is Christ. He said, to live is Christ. He said that, man, our lives are hidden in Christ. And so, man, I feel it's important as we talk about habits, we've got to build this foundation. And so if it begins with identity, then we need to get some tools in our tool belt for what our identity is. So turn with me to Colossians 3, chapter, verse 3. Colossians 3, verse 3. And I think this is a great verse to memorize in the new year. And this is crucial if you're going to create good habits. It says, for you died to this life. Well, you could just stop right there. It's like, okay, if the, my identity starts with me dying, then that's a whole different perspective and outlook. For you died to this life and your real life, underline that, is hidden in, with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So much of the time, our habits are, are revolved around self-betterment. Like, I want to be better. I want to look better. I want to do this. I want to do that. I got this goal and I got that goal. When, man, if we look to God's word about our identity, it's like, hey, whatever you want is coming in a, a, a far distant second to who Christ is. Because when you gave your life to Jesus, and if you haven't, man, I pray that you take that step today to say, God, my life is yours and everything in it. Because it's the only way to really live. But, man, if, if the Bible says that we died and our real life is hidden with Christ and God, and if anything that is ever important in my life is, is, is going to be shared in his glory, not mine, then that changes the whole conversation about our identity because it's not finding ourselves, it's finding him. It's not figuring out what's important to me, it's figuring out what's important to him. It is so easy to get lost in this world of, of what feels good and just finding my true self or, and you know, I just wanna be me. And man, one thing that I've learned over over my life is, is that's such a waste of time trying to find out who I am. It's a black hole that never ends. 
I'm just telling you that what I've found. You might have a different story, but my identity is anchored in who Christ is. And he's made me unique. He has. And there's things about me that I need to learn. But if the end is me, then I will always be lost. The end has to be him. Because he's made me unique only in such a way to be used for his glory. And so that at the end of my life, people could see him, not me. And so this is such an important thing to get as we try to figure out what kind of habits should I get in my life? What do I need to break through? Because habits are, are the way to break through. Habit, they are. Because successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And so we want to have good habits that lead us towards the right thing. And so the foundation today is Colossians 3.3. It's not about me. It's about him. Christ isn't an add-on to your life. He's not just another habit to be like, oh, I want to, I want to check this off my list this year. No, Christ isn't an add-on. He's the whole thing. We're here to bring him glory. And so the motive in our heart is Christ-likeness, not just self-betterment. Too many times we come to church and we let talking about something churchy make us feel like we accomplished something. And that's not what we're after when it comes to habits. As Christ's representatives here on earth, our faith has to translate to action and our identity that is in Christ has to come through in our habits and how we live on a daily basis. Is this what saves us? No, but it's a natural response to a loving God. And so my identity is in Christ, not in anything else. You see, because if you accept the identity of a failure, then your habits will reflect that. If you accept the identity of your biggest struggle, your habits will reflect that. But if you accept your identity in Christ, then you remember that you're forgiven, that you're a conqueror, that you're a son or daughter of God, that you're full of power, that you're equipped for everything, and then your habits will reflect that identity. This is the process of maturation or becoming mature in the Christian walk. I have to begin to act like my newfound identity in Christ. And I have to connect my identity in Christ to my habits. This is the process. Just like a child will never learn, will never learn to act like an adult if they don't start learning while they're a child how to act like an adult. You don't just hit 18 and it's like all of a sudden, okay, now I'm gonna act like an adult. No, we learn from the time we're little how to begin to mature and act like an adult. I love what James Clear and, and some other authors have said about habits. They say that your system is perfectly designed for the results that you're getting. Isn't that good? Your system is perfectly designed for the results we're getting. So we look at our life as a system. It's like, hey, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's, and it's creating this, right? It's kind of like an equation, although it's way, that's way simplified and life is not that simple or um, easy. But it is true that I can change the system and get different results. And so if the goal is Christ-likeness, what do I need to do to change the system to get the results that God wants to see in my life. And so the habits that we're going to discuss today are incredibly specific. They're incredibly practical. Some of you might be like, seriously, Joe, I came to church for that. Absolutely. You came to church for this. And these are just a few. These are just some very basic ones that are going to get you out of the starting blocks. Tomorrow night at class 201, 
uh, we're going to dive into to, to four habits. Um, and we're gonna, there's a ton of content under those four habits. And so those will be a little bit different. And so if you haven't signed up for 201, come tomorrow night, um, Monday night at six o'clock, six o'clock. But here's some habits that'll change your life. The first one is, and fill this in in your notes, study for life change. Study for life change. Now, now the moment you hear that word study, if you're anything like my teenage boys, you're like, school, no. Study, no. And you know, I remember that time in my life where there was nothing more that I wanted than to get out of school and never see a book again in my entire life, right? And so the very fact that, man, I've got to study just feels kind of forced and awkward and unnatural. But here's what God's word says in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, work hard. Underline that, I love that. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and, cor- and who correctly explains the word of truth. Another translation says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who needeth not be ashamed but correctly divides or rightly divides the word of truth. And so I love, I love just those different play on words, work hard, study to show, you're gonna present yourself to God, you want to receive his approval. And remember, we've talked about this before, approval is not the same as acceptance. And so God accepts you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And to gain his approval, right, which is not the same as salvation, but to gain his approval, I wanna do the right thing. Not because it's what saves me, but because it's the right thing to do and because it's gonna put a smile on God's face, right? This is maturity in the Christian walk. And so we're gonna work hard so that we can present. Some of you have nightmares about doing presentations in school because you feared public speaking, you feared getting up, you feared having to be graded, you feared getting, having to get analyzed by other people, you feel like all eyes are on you and just thinking about it, man, you're already starting to have a little anxiety uh, meltdown right there in your seat, right? And you might be out of high school or college and so glad that you don't have to study to present yourself to anybody anymore, amen? But guess what? you're still preparing for a test. Not only that, you're living it actively every single day. You're living it. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, if you're gonna live by faith, then expect your faith to be, to be tested because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Love that. If you're gonna live by faith, expect your faith to be tested because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so if I want to habitually please God, then I've got to study for life change. I've got to be in constant preparation for the test of life that I'm constantly living. And I lo- the thing I love about this is that I'm not studying things that don't matter. I'm actively learning and applying God's word. What does the verse say? It says, be a good worker. It's not studying for knowledge's sake. It's studying for living's sake. Some of us haven't made this jump We still feel like studying God's word is a chore. We still feel like reading God's word is just another task. But man, when you get this shift and and it goes from just studying to know stuff, what does the Bible say about knowing stuff? Knowledge puffs up. It makes you proud. It makes you smarty pants. It makes you Mr. Know-it-all. That's not the goal. No, we're studying to live. We're studying to know how to do life. We're studying to have a hope to pass the test. It's studying for living stakes sake. And so what are some great study habits to include in our lives? First of all is intake. 
It's intake. What's coming in? Now, notice I said intake instead of reading because so many people hate reading. And so I'm just removing all the excuses this morning, right? Intake. No excuses. Humanity has never had it easier than now to get God's word into their hearts. And so you don't like reading? Hey, guess what? Thank God you're living in 2022. Because you don't even have to read. You can listen all day long. You open up that Bible app and you hit play. How cool is that? You don't like reading? Let me challenge you a little bit. Maybe it's an acquired taste. Maybe in your spiritual life, you're still living on chicken nuggets and PB&J and macaroni cheese, and it's time to acquire the taste for the finer things in life. Maybe. Maybe it's time to change your taste buds a little bit. Maybe it's time to get dirty, roll up your sleeves, and do something new. Here's what I know. Sometimes you've got to starve yourself of the junk to develop a hunger for the treasure. And reading is one of the treasures of life. If it weren't, then why would God have given us his word? Words are meant to be read, right? They're meant to be read. You know, people say, you know, I just want to hear from God. I just want God to speak to me. I don't feel like I ever hear God anymore. It just feels like the heavens are closed and all my prayers are hidden in the ceiling. Guess what? All you got to do, open the book. Open it. And read God's word, and you are listening straight from the mouth of God. And so the first great study habit is, in, habit is intake. I've got to take it in. But that's just where it starts. The second really great habit is meditation. It's meditation. And we're not talking some Eastern kind of weird, mystical meditation. No, we're talking about rumination. I'm chewing on God's word. I love what Batterson says. He says, reading gets us into God's word, but meditation gets God's word into us. When we pray the scriptures, when we really let it sink in, you know, sometimes we read our one-year Bible passage for the day and we're like, check, it's not enough. I gotta meditate on it. I gotta get it in my heart. A next habit is taking notes or journaling. Man, I would encourage every single one of you to bring a notebook to church or take notes on your phone or just have some system where I'm logging what God is talking to me about. So, you know, you can call this journaling. Girls, you can call this a diary, whatever you want to call it. Write it down. Another great um, habit is repetition. Whatever you're learning, repeat it over and over and over and over again until you're applying it to your life. I love what George Bernard Shaw says. He says, the the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. And how does this apply to our lives? We come to church and we hear it and we're like, I got it. It's like, nah, no, I don't have it. (laughs) And it's proven when I go out and try to live it. And so what do I gotta do? I gotta keep repeating it. I got to keep going back to the basics. I got to keep listening. I can't assume that because I heard it once that I understand it, can apply it, or will do it. Another way for repetition is memorizing. I'm going to speak it out loud. I'm, I'm going to, what have you got to do? Flashcards, create your own filing system. Get serious about the intake of God's word in your life. And then the last habit when it comes to studying is application. And application goes like this. Hear, listen, do. Hear, listen, 
do. Like I said before, knowledge puffs up. And so it's not just enough to know it, we've gotta apply it. You can make your benchmark, your personal benchmark for your life. I only really know what I actually do. What if we had that mindset or that perspective? Man, I only really know it if I do it, right? I only, I only really, I'm only really wise if I don't just know God's word, but actually apply it with godly wisdom to my life. And so if I don't do it, I don't know it. And if I don't do it, I don't believe it. Ouch. Right? And so studying for life change, we're going to look at what we're intaking, reading it, listening, hearing. We're going to meditate on it. We're going to take notes on it. We're going to journal about it. We're going to repeat it over and over and over. And then we're going to apply it to our lives. Some of you are like, man, Joe, that sounds like a lot of work. But what, is the, what, did, what did our verse say? Work hard. Man, so we take the easy way out. But the Bible says work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Psalm 119, five through six. I don't think it's on the screens, but you can, you can write that one down. Psalm 119, five through six says, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Wow. Think about that. Oh, that my actions will consistently reflect your decrees. Then I won't be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. I really feel, church, that as a culture, just in America, and, and, and we, we've, we've woven this into our church life, is that we've gotten so allergic to shame that we're not even ashamed about the right things. There are things in our lives that we should be ashamed of. And I'm not here to pile on. I'm, I'm, I'm here saying, oh me, <laughs> because I'm right there with you. But there are things in our life that, man, if we were to stand in the presence of God, which we are, that we should be ashamed of. And so there's this tension that we wanna manage in our life and we want to say, just like David said in Psalm 119, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I won't be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Love it. Number two, the second habit that we want to get into our life this new year is we want to show up. We want to show up. And, and I'm talking specifically about church. Now, if you're sick, watching online today, hey, no stones thrown. I'm so glad that you tuned in. And, but man, we wanna show up to church. Make it a priority in your life. And you might say, Joe, why are you preaching this message to everybody that's here today? It's because sometimes we forget how important it is to just be in the house of God with other believers. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so we gotta show up to church and life group and, and to, to these things that are helping us grow in our relationship with God, right? So much of the time, and this isn't just physically, because a lot of times we show up, but we're not there mentally. We're on our phone, we're in another world, we're daydreaming. Man, I wanna show up and with my church face on. I'm show up with my, with my 
uh, attitude ready to hear and listen and, and learn. What are some reasons for not showing up to church? And maybe you've gone through these at one time in your life. One reason that people stop showing up to church or, is because they fear for their reputation. Like, oh, I can't be seen there with those people, right? What are my friends gonna think if I start going to church? And, and this might be you if you're watching online today, you're just kind of checking the church thing out and maybe you know that there's more in life and, and Jesus, you kind of feel like maybe there is something to this Jesus thing, but you still haven't been, been able to bring yourself to come to church because you're afraid of what your th- friends might think. But hey, it's important to get around other people that are going in the same direction. And so sometimes we fear for a reputation. Sometimes we fear for rejection. We're like, man, if I go to church, they won't accept me. But Mosaic Church needs to be a place where everyone's accepted at the foot of the cross. Remember, God loves us enough just like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. But we all start in the same place as a sinner in need of grace, right? And so that's why we're a three-chair church. And we want this church to be full of unbelievers and new believers and mature believers all growing to look more like Jesus. But this has got to be a church where everybody is welcome. And so, man, don't let fear of rejection be a reason that you don't come to church. Another reason people slack in their church attendance is because of hurt. You know, and maybe they're hurt and they're like, I can't forgive those people at church that hurt me. Some people don't come because they think that those people at church won't forgive them. Oh, I'm too far gone. I've, I've let God down too many times. They don't respect me anymore. They're not gonna believe in me anymore. And so we stop coming because we're ashamed. Sometimes we stop going to church because of pride. We're like, I don't need it. I'm good. I get more out of my Bible time with just me and Jesus and my coffee and, and I don't need it. That preacher never tells me anything I don't know anyway. You ever been there? It's pride. Sometimes the pride in our life says that, they, oh, they can't meet my needs. They're not smart enough. I've, I've, I'm past that. Sometimes we, 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 we say, oh, they're not good enough. I need something better. And we do believe here at Mosaic that life is too short not to enjoy church. But every time we get offended or feel like that didn't feed me, doesn't necessarily mean it's time to look for a new church. And then last reason that sometimes people stop showing up to church is just straight up laziness. You know, Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets. <laughs> Love that one. It works every time. It's not the last time you'll hear it. But just laziness. People just, eh, just don't feel like it. And remember... If you only do the right things when you feel like it, the devil will make sure you never feel like it. But here's the truth. Most people I know have fallen off their spiritual horse or they've backslidden or they've walked away from Jesus and they can trace it all back to when they stopped attending church regularly. Youth, parents, I wanna encourage you because for some reason, um, parents get a little lax with their students once they get into junior high and high school. And somewhere along the way during that progression, going to church becomes optional. And as a youth pastor of 20 years, when you make it optional for your student, guess what option they choose most? Because every single one of us goes through a time in life where we're just too cool for school. And as a parent, I just wanna encourage you to make it not optional. 
Not optional. And this isn't with a heavy hand or a heavy fist, but just, hey, this is what we do. This is where we go. Why? Because it's important. Now, I don't want to say something, you know, that is wrong today. And so I just want you to know clearly that church attendance doesn't save you. It doesn't. But is church, attending church, a critical part of your development as a Christ follower all day long, every day? If it's not, then what in the world are we doing? Why are we here? But we are here. We come together every single week because everyone needs someone who knows their name and what's going on in their lives. Everyone. It's how God created you. It's what we're here for so that we can know each other. We can care for each other. Showing up at church, showing up in life, showing up for your family, showing up in your relationship with your spouse, showing up in your relationship with your kids is the most underrated factor of performance ever. And we take it for granted. And it's a habit that is incredibly crucial in your life. And just remember, consistency beats intensity all day, every day. And so I wanna encourage you to keep showing up, keep coming, keep coming, keep learning, keep showing up. Here's some quick tips before we move on to number three. Go to bed early. Get up early. Bring a notebook. Drink coffee. Be on time and in your seat. You would never be, be late to work consistently. And so don't be, don't be late to the house of God. Now, if you come in late, do I still love you? Absolutely, all day long. This is a house of grace and mercy. But hey, as your pastor, I'm just exhorting you this morning. Be on time. Have an attitude that says, I can learn something from anyone and I'm gonna learn something today. And then show up. Attendance though, without our next habit that we're gonna talk about is only half of the equation. But just remember in Acts 2, 42 and 46, it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, my favorite part, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And so, hey, in our culture right now, we just come to church a lot of times one day a week. And so don't miss it. And then get together with your friends outside of church. Talk about God's word. Meet at Starbucks. Do life together and devote yourself to God's word. Number three, the last habit that we want to get ingrained in our life to, uh, in the new year is serving. Serving. This is huge. So we're going to study for life change. We're going to show up and we're going to serve. So to unpack this, we're gonna talk about kind of a strange thing in the Bible, and we see it a lot of times throughout Scripture because they're just the culture that they lived in. But there's multiple occurrences in Scripture of something that would seem strange to us, and it's feet washing. How many of you think that's a little gross? It's like, I might wash my feet, but I'm not gonna wash somebody else's feet. It's just a little weird. And so we're gonna look at two occurrences in God's Word and see some pretty sharp contrast between them. The first is in Luke 7:36. Luke 7, 36. And it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Now, I love this because the Pharisees didn't like Jesus and Jesus knew they didn't like him and they were against him. But here this Pharisee is like, hey, come over to my house. And I love it because Jesus went where he was welcomed, even the house of a Pharisee. And that, there's, a, there's a message in there for us today. Get along, get along with people. And so this woman hears that Jesus is there and she randomly shows up. And to us, that might seem kind of awkward, right? 
And we're going to close here in a minute. But this might seem kind of awkward. Scholars, though, say that the house of Simon the Pharisee was a house of a rich person. Simon had money. He had means. And the rich usually had an open courtyard in their house, usually in the center of the house. Doesn't that sound cool? I'd, I'd like a house like that. And so sometimes the host, which would be Simon the Pharisee, would allow the public to stand around in the courtyard and listen to the discussions that they were having with their guest. In particular, they would do this when they had a rabbi over to the house or some celebrity that was a, the chief guest. And so Simon probably wanted everyone to know that Jesus was coming over to his house because Jesus, for better or for worse at that time, depending on who you talk to, he was a celebrity. To the Pharisees, he was a celebrity for the wrong reasons. And to this woman, he was a celebrity because he stood for hope. He stood for life change. He stood for a chance that her life could be different. And so, she shows up. Jesus is there hanging out with Simon the Pharisee, just having a good old time. Random people standing around listening in to the conversation. And the woman comes up to Jesus and starts to cry all over his feet dumps perfume all over his feet, washes his feet with her hair. Now to us, it just went to a whole nother level of awkward, but for them, it was like she was honoring him. So let's look what Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, because Simon gets a little uncomfortable. He's like, what in the world is going on here? And Jesus said, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my du the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And so the question isn't the awkwardness of the story. The question comes in the question that or the, the statement that Jesus made to Simon. Because he looked at Simon and he said, when I entered your home, listen, when Jesus enters your life, what's your response? What's your response? How about this? When Jesus entered your life, what was his response? What was his? You see, some of the most basic things in the Christian life are so hard to apply, but it's not because of the difficulty in the application. It's just in us not doing it. But Jesus makes it very clear. Hey, when I entered your home, here was the right response. And this wasn't Jesus being arrogant or just, you know, being like, hey, you know, this is how I should be treated. No, because if we're going to look at the second, we're going to look at the second occurrence now and see that it was just the example that he set. And so fast forward to John 13, three, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And listen to what it says. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he, become, he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. 
Mind blown. So I love it. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority, given him authority over everything. So Jesus is showing us that, man, you have all authority in life. The only response to that kind of power is to serve. The only response to coming into a relationship with Christ that gives us power and authority is to serve. It's the only one. If you can do one thing, if there's one habit to do in your Christian life, if there's one thing that you need to focus on from here on out, it's serving others. Nothing works like a commitment to get you making a difference. Nothing works like putting others first. Nothing works like saying, hey, I'm gonna set my agenda aside, I'm gonna live for God's glory, and I'm gonna serve other people. And I'm not, not just talking about, you know, you might think, oh, Joe's, Joe's warming up for a, a push for nursery workers right now. Not doing it. This is a life application. This is saying I'm gonna serve my neighbors. This is saying I'm gonna serve, how about my spouse? How about we start there? This is saying I'm gonna serve my kids. This is saying I'm gonna serve my coworkers. This is saying I'm gonna serve my boss. This is saying I'm gonna serve my customers. This is saying I'm gonna be somebody who operates with a standard operating procedure of service. I'm gonna be a person of servanthood. And as we do these habits, as we study and we show up and we serve, and we study some more, and we show up, and we serve. We have this attitude that, God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna commit myself to a long obedience in the same direction because successful people do consistently what others do occasionally, right? And so I'm gonna commit myself to these basic things. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime of service. And as you live out your life and as you struggle to apply these things to your life, I just wanna encourage you, if you're too big to serve, then according to Jesus, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And so think about it. And right now, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, jot down some areas in your life that you need to step up your serving game. It's gonna start at home. It's gonna then move from there to church and to work and to just being a, being a nice person, being like Jesus, amen. And remember, when Jesus enters your life, what's your response gonna be? I hope it's that we pour out ourselves for him, that we, that we love him with all of our hearts and that we serve like he served. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes for me today, if there's somebody here today that has not begun a relationship with Jesus and you'd like to do that today, You'd like to say, God, I wanna put you first in my life. I haven't done this before. I haven't given you my heart, but I want to today. I'm gonna to begin a relationship with you. If that's you today, uh, just with an upraised hand, just say, that's, that's me. Amen. God, I'd like to give my life to you. Here it is. Amen. If you're online with me today, you could raise your hand right there in the living room. And if you raised your hand in the house or online today, just say this prayer after me. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you, that you rose again, that you died on the cross for me, and that you deserve it all. And so help me to live for you from this day forward. 
Help me to understand your word and apply it to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.